At the last election, the island's housing crisis was a topic on every politician's lips, so what's happened to address this over the past 18 months? Government's island plan outlines a vision of everyone having a sustainable and affordable place to call home, but is that vision even close to being delivered? I'm joined in the studio by MHK David Ashford, Douglas Councillor Devon Watson, and Port Air and Commissioner Hayley Fox, who will be helping me quiz the Housing Minister, Chris Thomas. So can the Minister explain the rather complex structure which governs housing at the moment and whether uh, the structure actually is a little confused and in need of further reform? Housing sort of is a DOI responsibility. It's also the responsibility of the uh, Housing and Communities Board. uh, It's fair to say there was a debate on on the DOI plan. Uh, One of the Timbald members uh, was rather disgruntled that you said ah yes but that would be a matter for the housing and communities board not not the doi even though you are the chair of of one and the minister of another um is is the current arrangement confused and in need of further reform Uh, probably and one of the actions in the housing and communities board action plan is to address that very issue so infrastructure historically has had a huge role for housing but it's constrained by the legislation and we've got a bill in place called the housing and communities bill which can be used to address uh, legislative um, defects and uh, the housing and communities uh, action plan is excellent, has laid out the issues. We've got an excellent advisory board made up of five experts, in, in each in their own way, about housing and communities issues, and it's been great to start six or seven initiatives with them through working groups. And in relation to housing, well over half of public sector housing is provided by local government. Is there a place for local government on your housing and communities board? Um, we have lots of ways of uh, liaising with the housing providers. So in the late summer, early autumn, we went out around the regions to have discussions with officers and commissioners and councillors about housing matters. On the table there was the concept of um, fixed-term tenancies and, and review of those. On the table there was the concept of how we fix rents each year, because at the moment we have quite a political process and that's perhaps not ideal. On the table there was the whole future of mid-term um, sorry, mid-rent housing. And finally, I think we talked about the, the use of a software programme called Civica, which Douglas Borough Council use and the Department of Infrastructure use and we would like to make available to all um, housing providers. We also have things like Clark's Forum and Housing Professionals Forum. So I think that's the way that we will continue to talk with um, housing providers rather than through the Housing and Communities Board because ultimately the Housing and Communities Board is advisory. It's made up of somebody who has an expertise in dealing with homelessness, somebody who's an estate agent, somebody who who's a bit of a property developer and those sorts of skills. And I say it's had a role, it's laid down a programme and um, you know, we've, all, we've got long established 40, 50, 60 years of activity with housing providers around public housing. And presumably the role of this uh, board is to try and pull together all the various elements of government that have some level of responsibility yep. uh, and perhaps come up with some overarching policies? Well, uh, uh, some some politicians are more more focused on policies and strategies and other politicians are more focused on actions and doing stuff. And I think uh, the last 15 months has been about um, actions and doing stuff. So... DHSC took primary lead in putting together a better solution for dealing with homelessness and 
have made good progress with their department for enterprise at the land registry is responsible for taking money off people for land transactions and they've they've carried on leading in that space. Uh, DOI has carried on with housing providers in terms of public sector housing and expanding our mid-rents. If we go to things like the empty properties initiative because we have a massive issue in the Isle of Man with vacant properties and derelict properties and brownfield sites, I suggest that the lead on that has been taken by people like the Manx Development Corporation and underneath the Brownfield um, Regeneration Steering Committee that David helped set up, and also by what's called the um, um, the, the, the sort of planning reform program in the built environment. I'd say they had the primary lead, which is sort of DFE, um, you know, types. David uh, Ashford, I mean, you have had various experiences in relation to housing. You've been the, the lead councillor on housing for Douglas uh, Borough Council and uh, also um, for a brief period you were Treasury Minister and had to pull together a budget with various uh, commitments uh, in, in relation to public sector housing. Um, do, do, you, do you think that the, the kind of piecemeal approach to, to housing that we have is conducive to addressing what was described certainly by many at the last general election uh, as, as a housing crisis? I think housing is going to be absolutely fundamental to the future of our island and this administration has to ensure that they get the housing policy right and that's across the board, not just social housing but also private sector housing in terms of rent to buy, in terms of first-time buyers, second-time buyers... All of it needs to be in the mix and all of it needs to be joined up. That was the purpose of the Housing and Communities Board being created at the start of this administration was to pull all those strands together and give it one joined up place. Um, we both know, Phil, we've both battled at times with department, one department doing one thing and another department doing another. And this is now where it's got to stop because if we don't get housing right, then we won't deliver on our economic strategy. We won't deliver on the wider island plan because everything that we do is embedded under the housing policies because we will not attract people to the island if we haven't got housing correct. And do you think, I mean the Minister obviously believes that he's been all about action and and, uh, hasn't had time for for strategy and policy. Um, Are are you convinced that the the government generally has has delivered the sort of action that uh, many people on the doorstep would have been expecting? I think progress has been made, to be fair to Chris and the Housing Communities Mm -hmm. Board, and Chris has laid out some of the actions that the Housing Community Board's taken. But the proof will be in the pudding once the draft Housing and Communities Bill actually comes forward and what it does. I I think one of the problems is when we talk about housing, we still talk about different types of housing in isolation, in silo mentality. So we'll have a debate about social housing. We'll have a debate about private sector housing, about first-time buyers, not realising they're all actually intertwined. and that unless we actually treat them as one, as one overarching policy, then we will not deliver on housing. We've got to stop this silo mentality of discussion, discussing and placing issues in boxes when it comes to housing. It's about the overall housing mix on the island, because not everyone is always going to own their own home. There's always going to be a need for social housing. There's always going to be a need for a vibrant rental sector as well. And it's important that we get all of that into one debate and one policy rather than actually looking at it individually. Hayley Fox, I mean, you're um, a new voice to this programme and uh, you've got a lot of experience uh, both as a housing officer and now uh, since, uh, well, you tell us how how long uh, a Port Erin Commissioner. Uh, 
Port Erin Commissioner December 2022, so only been a couple of months, but worked in housing since 2006-2007. So you've had a, a lot of experience from the the other side of this debate, you know, from from the officer side trying to deliver housing. Uh, are, are you convinced that that uh, we've we've got things right uh, in terms of the way in which housing is delivered on the island? It'd be easy to be overly critical of certain administrations, past and present. I think the changing landscape of housing, especially after um, the pandemic and rising costs and things, has made a lot of things a lot worse. And as David said, you can't look at housing in isolation, private sector, private rented sector, social housing, because they all influence each other. Private rent's going up so high. You know, we see this every day, people who can't afford their rent they then don't qualify for social housing because the income limits are too low. They're all intrinsically linked. So I think, as has been pointed out, there is an all-island crisis with all housing. And and you're engaged with... Uh, well, you work for Castletown Commissioners as housing officer and you're engaged with a, a, a development at the moment... Um, how, how does that work? I mean, how, how what, what, because because there's a, a government involvement in this. There's a Castletown commissioners in, involvement. Uh, how, how does that all work um, uh, from an officer perspective? Um, well, I obviously came into Castletown commissioners when the project was already um, in its inception. But um, the way I understand it, obviously, the DOI set out the parameters, specification, and our project managing it through the petition process that we've been through with them so they largely control quite a lot of the design uh, standards and uh, different different spec of the uh, of the project we've been able to have some influence on that but it's largely the DOI that have led the project and it's is it Castletown Commissioner's money because again I think most people listening don't really understand how how all this works how, who, who who actually pays for the the, the housing well, the, the taxpayer, <laughs> obviously. Um, we've had to petition for the funds that's um, it's borrowed over a 30-year period, I think. I might be wrong. I'm not sure on the figures with that. As I yeah. say, I wasn't yeah. involved in the project at the beginning. Um, but the money is borrowed from um, government by us hmm. through a loan basis. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you pay back the loan... Uh, but there's also a deficiency payment which covers uh, a lot of that, which you get again from, uh, uh, well, ultimately from Treasury through through the DOI. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, Devon, uh, Devon Watson, you've been uh, suspiciously quiet in the corner there. Um, you're um, now the the, the lead councillor, I think, for for housing in uh, the Douglas City. Is it Douglas City Council yet? Yeah, 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 one hundred percent. Great. Um, so, so what what does that role in, involve? Uh, uh, because uh, Douglas Douglas is, is Douglas the largest we're actual the, housing owner on the island, public sector housing. We're the largest public sector housing owner on the island. We have about five thousand four hundred tenants, two and a half thousand properties and what our role is is to build and maintain existing social housing. So we've recently put out a 10-year plan and, and obviously that's going to be made public fairly soon but our, our job is to not only expand the amount of social housing we have which is absolutely critical but then also at the same time improve maintenance and communication with tenants that we currently have. Obviously we're a large organization relative to the Isle of Man and sort of providing that housing is absolutely essential. One thing I do want to sort of touch on is is the assumption, and I think there's a big public assumption when we talk about local authority and social housing as being sort of this massive cost on the taxpayer. 
<clears throat> one thing I would like to point out, though, is that it is probably the most efficient use of public funds in alleviating poverty of, of any government program that we have, right? If you look at my private sector rent, I pay about £1,450 a month for a three-bedroom house that I'm going to be moving into, just signed the lease like a few days ago. There are no other options, right? Um, but the equivalent property, property owned by a local housing authority or the council would cost about 450 to 500 pounds, right? So for an average deficiency of roughly about 50 pounds per person averaged per per month, that individual will end up saving between 800 and 1,000 pounds a month. Just purely on VAT receipts, it comes back to the government. Um, but in terms of providing people with uh, stability long-term, uh, it's probably the most efficient use of public funds we have and one of the few government programs we have that can take someone who lives in poverty and give them a pathway into the middle class. It's something we need to be building far more of. And um, we're fairly desperate to sort of see um, a lot more work with DOI and, and Treasury to see that happen. But as has happened at the moment, we're really happy that Chris... Chris Thomas is in, in the role that he's in because he's recently done a lot of work that has made our job a lot easier. He's increased the amount of money that we're allowed to spend on maintenance, which can help deal with all older issues. He's been really enthusiastic at helping work with us and sort of approving new housing plans, and we hope to do a lot more. But on the Isle of Man overall, despite the good work that's been happening in the past few years, there is no single person who controls housing, and which is why our housing is in a state of failure. I mean, there's no other way about it. Tenants have the worst rental rights of anywhere in Western Europe. We're one of the only uh, national jurisdictions that doesn't have a homeless shelter. Housing prices grow unabated, and we lack certain things that even the Scottish government, with a lot, lot, lot less power, has managed to implement, such as rent control. The English government, run by the Tories, never known for being particularly pro-tenant, has introduced two housing reforms um, since we've last updated our housing legislation, in which rent tenants over there have powers such as um, they can they know that their deposit isn't just going to get swallowed up at the whim of a landlord even if their property is okay at the end of the day they've got security of tenancy they've got the right to sort of keep pets within their homes right so tenants on the Isle of Man are in a lot more precarious position which is why when you don't get any of the tax benefits over here when you're below like a certain income threshold but you pay twice the rent that someone in Yorkshire does why would you stay on the Isle of Man and, and housing is critical to ensuring that the demographics of the Isle of Man stay roughly stable and we continue to sort of have a pension system and an NHS. And, I mean, you're certainly younger than a number of the people in the studio. Um, do you think young people uh, are convinced that uh, the government's doing enough? Uh, and when I say the government, I include local and central government on this. Uh, doing enough to address the what was deemed to be a housing crisis uh, just around eighteen months ago. You can you can see that in action, right? And and people are voting, not voting in the ballot box because they assume they've got a fundamental distrust of government. When I was elected, there was like four or five young voters out there, but. Really, young people are checking out the Isle of Man. They're, a lot of people are giving up. And you can see this in census and demographic data that the Isle of Man continues to, get, um, continues to lose young people at a fairly rapid rate. And what we're seeing is this isn't sort of the same population pyramid that we're seeing in sort of competing jurisdictions. Um, it's, it's a huge issue. I think people don't feel like there's enough being done. And people have sort of resigned themselves to the fact that the housing market is going to be permanently bad. Um, when you look at stats that have come out of the UK recently, this is by the Financial Times, not exactly some left-wing paper, 
But like the average household in Slovenia is going to be richer than the average household in the UK by 2024. The average household in Poland is going to be richer than the average household in the UK by 2029. Um, and I think people are seeing that. And if you're a young person, the best financial move you can make is leave the Alaman and, and leave the UK for better shores. And if we don't do something about this, our pension and, and NHS, NHS systems are not going to be sustainable. Minister, uh, th- this does kind of drive a, a coaching horses through government's whole, um, well, the, the core element of government strategy, which is to bring more people onto the island, more economically active people. Um, if the economically active people who are here already feel that living here is, is no longer a, a viable prospect, mm-hmm. uh, how are you going to bring more people in? No, it, housing is absolutely cr- crucial in the economic strategy that's why providing the right infrastructure for a population of 100,000 potentially by 2037 was upgraded as part of the consultation process absolutely vital um, and uh, everybody who's, who's talked about intergenerational fairness is correct and we did p- provide the evidence in our intergenerational fairness report a few years ago which says that you know, younger people are, have less life chances in terms of careers pensions housing and it's just factually self-evident that you know for the first time for decades for generations young people are going to do worse on average than their parents so we get you know unless we do something about it and profoundly um so we have to get it right and just wanted to pick up on some of the issues that devon kindly mentioned because they really are important issues um also as Haley mentioned yeah funding a DOI pays six and a half, seven, eight million for deficiency. The rest is paid by rents, and it is a really efficient uh, measure. But you know, Douglas, Douglas is incredibly ambitious. It's got a huge investment plan, mm. and so you know, Treasury has and DOI have to be concerned in as much as we've got to make sure that we get the value for every pound spent in in terms of that deficiency payment. And we have a system called Bricks in the DOI, which uh, into which the data is working. We're putting on it. We're thinking about changing. Just in relation to to the. Dis- Efficiency payment then. Just explain uh, to, to those who, who don't understand and, and it, you know, to be fair, it's not, not the easiest uh, and, and straightforwardest of, of, of uh, formulas. How, how does this actually work? Oh, so, so since 1999 in the Tinwood Resolution, basically we at the DOI um, do work with local authorities and approve things just as Haley's described. And then uh, um, through the year and at the end of the year, we make a transfer over to local, local authorities um, to help them with their maintenance, with their investment, and 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 the like. Um, so that's what the deficiency payment uh, is. So you know, Castletown doing this huge project in School Hill West Hill. You also have your own housing reserve. By chance, I was looking at your accounts and Douglas's accounts and all the other local authority accounts. Yesterday, you have a million, 1.2 million. You don't actually have anything in your housing reserve. Mm-hmm. But all these things are looked at in the context of uh, in the context of how the deficiency payment is paid to the local authorities. And you know that's one thing that we're worried about because if we are going to be able to say to Douglas, you know, do more. It's got to be finance uh, from somewhere. So I hope that that's enough. But I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't mind coming back to address the issue of um, homelessness and occupancy deposit a bit later on in the programme at this time. I guess that's one of the issues, right? I mean, we've we've taken this really critical national issue and we've given perhaps the largest issue facing the Alaman and we've given it down to local authorities. And yeah, we were ambitious. And I think it's because Douglas is building a lot of social housing that obviously there's a lot more financial pressure because I think there's a lot of people, both in an officer and a 
council level who recognize a housing crisis and if if we don't do something about this there's the, the, not only do we suffer i mean it would be far easier for us as a local authority to say we can't really be bothered building any more social housing we just put all this money into maintaining properties and sort of making sure things are okay because it's a complex it's complex work but i think that generally what we need is we need a, a government project like we had after the war really that will focus on sort of providing decent affordable housing for a lot of people and i think a lot of that comes on government and there's a lot of really good hard working government but there also does need to be a lot of pressure put on the private sector to say hey guys i know that recently the the Manx landlords association did complain about even the the existence of register right i mean these are the bare minimums in terms of what we need in order to sort of ensure basic regulation of of the private sector because it does need to do its part when you end up having, so I pay more for a one-bedroom house, or I did pay more for a one-bedroom flat than I would for a four-bedroom public sector house. And obviously that puts a lot more pressure on local authorities. And and every week we have an allocation meeting where we have to choose who gets social housing. So we sit in a room and you have to make a choice. Does it go to a um, homeless young person or does it go to an older person with disabilities? And these are heart-wrenching, extremely difficult choices. And it puts this extreme amount of pressure to build more social housing to get it done. But if there was better regulation and protection and perhaps even vacancy taxes that brought more properties into use, it would sort of make the housing situation um, a lot more stable and a lot easier to sort of finance. David Ashford, I mean, you, you, you're, I was going to say you're in that sort of rare position of being uh, in a government that's only existed for uh, just under 18 months, having been part of the government and, and then also been outside of government. But actually, there's, there's a growing number of uh, members who, who, who can join that club. Um, but, but from your perspective, I mean, obviously, after the election, housing was a really big issue it was every every candidate had uh, had had raised this as a big concern um government obviously sat round and came up with plans um obviously we we know that you had to leave uh, government uh, just before the summer um are you convinced that all the plans that had been laid down are are, are going to are, are were sufficient at the time and are actually being implemented well, I've always made quite clear that from my point of view, action plans and strategies are great. But Chris said there's different types of politicians, and I'm one of those politicians that likes to see action. Because one of the things I've seen over the years in my involvement in politics is you can have wonderful colour, glossy documents which say absolutely wonderful things as to where you want to get to. But if you don't actually take the journey and do it, that's all they are, the words on a page. And one of the things we've got to ensure for all of us, be it at local authority level or national level representing our constituents, is that housing doesn't drop down the agenda because Chris is quite right when he says housing is absolutely fundamental to everything and we also mustn't slip back into a trap of this one size fits all. So even if you look at social housing and local authorities, different local authorities have different needs when it comes to social housing. Mm. Devon's just pointed out there about single individuals and unless something's radically changed in Douglas, which I don't think it has, the vast majority of Douglas's housing list, the people who've been waiting the longest are people after one or two bed flats who are are single couples or don't necessarily have children whereas there's other local authorities i know who are crying out to try and house three you know three bed families um so we've got to stop this whole trap of we'll design something and that's it and trying to smack square pegs into round holes and 
at the Housing and Communities Board and Chris carry a great burden on their shoulder because they're the people who've got to deliver this. That board was created, as I say, to pull everything in from government, all the disparate strands you spoke about where one department would do one thing and the other department over there would be doing something different. That board has to deliver because if it doesn't deliver, we don't get the economic strategy, we don't grow the population and that then has fundamental effects on our island going forward. Um, so, so we've got to actually start moving it forward. I, I think the plan that's in place from the Housing Communities Board is great, but I'm always cynical in nature, Phil, and I'll start believing things when I actually see them in action on the ground. Well, we'll, we'll take a short break and uh, come back after these adverts. Hayley Fox, uh, when the government plan sort of first became public, I think there was quite a re- reaction, particularly among people of uh, younger people young economically active people uh, who were saying well this is this is all well and good but uh, we can't afford to live here do you, do you think enough has been done to convince that generation that uh, actually government's on on the case and and things are going to change um in a nutshell i'd say no to be honest as someone that falls into that category who is also like devon privately renting at a premium a two-bedroom property is £1,200. If I want to stay south, you're talking even more than that. Um, there's, I, I don't qualify for social housing. I don't earn a bad wage, but it's it's not going to be enough to be able to buy a house again now. So now, uh, speaking as somebody who's living that experience, I don't think there is. And and what would what would you like to see? I mean, to putting aside your your Port Town Commissioner's hat and your Castletown Commissioner's uh, Housing Officer hat, uh, many hats. <laughs> yeah, but, but what what would you like to see in terms of the the, the well the overall picture? Maybe there are specifics in Port Town and Castletown you can refer to as well. I appreciate the South is a very expensive place to live anyway, but all islands uh, the rents are out of control now. I speak to housing matters three four times a week some weeks saying that they just don't have anywhere for people then that's causing a lot of people to end up being of no fixed abode which is far worse than it's ever been there's not any real um allocation of points for that you can do an assessment to see if people are homeless and there's some arbitrary points applied but there's not really an assessment process to push them further up the list there's nowhere to put them in the meantime because there's no legislation we have no obligation as a local authority to house people we have no emergency housing i know that's digressing slightly from the young person um situation you're asking me about but there are a lot of single especially males that are homeless on the list with me at the minute and then that feeds into mental health you know they're a huge category for obviously suicide so mm. the all these issues are all affecting people's well-being and minister i mean you you were hoping to return to to this subject uh, so Haley has, has very neatly um uh, brought you uh, the, the the opportunity uh, how, how does government uh well what has, has government been doing because i i think you, you you have been active in this area so I think there's about three or four different responses. One is to help people um, in, in terms of shared equity, first-time buyers. If, if home ownership is the uh, is the target, you know, we have ch- we have changed the thresholds. We've uh, we've changed the way that the house prices are taken into account in the schemes. We have launched that, and we are doing a more fundamental review um, to index link 
and also to look at alternatives to the previous shared equity schemes. In terms of um, in terms of getting more people onto into public sector housing, public housing, we have to you know to, to listen to Haley David. Um, Devon and actually work with Douglas and Castletown and do do things ourselves to create more more properties, which is you know what we are trying to do. So the DOI has got Ballacubbin already approved coming forward. We're working on get, making sure the drainage at Crossag's farm is, um, is sorted out so that we can do something there. Uh, we'll re- revisit this on Tuesday in the uh, House of Keys because David's got a question for me then, so I don't want to preempt all the information so I can embarrass him a little bit when he forgets something <laughs> in, his, in his aggressive questioning. And ter- uh, the other pilot that we've got, which I think might be helpful for some for somebody like Kaylee as a as a young person who can't quite you know afford to buy if that's what she wants to do might be hugely expanding the midterm pilot um uh, sorry, the, um, the 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 mid rent pilot. I've called it mid term twice now, so that must be psychological. But the mid rent pilot, <laughs> where, where we have six properties in in Colby, where the idea being that you can actually save while you're paying a sub market rent. We need a huge number extra of those, and we've talked with Douglas and all other local authorities about doing perhaps some of their new housing, not their existing housing, on the basis of being mid rent properties to help people save up. And then I suppose the final point is to deal with people who are actually, you know, what Haley and Edge were of no fixed abode. Well, of no fixed abode will need to be defined in the legislation. Are you genuinely of no fixed abode, meaning you've got nowhere else you can go to, or have you, in some sense, created your own no fixed abode? We've got to have a policy for the people who are completely no fixed abode, and then we've also got to have policies that work to help people who want to be in a different housing situation, and they're two slightly different ones. What we've done... Turning your words around a little, Minister, (laughs) policies or actions... Well, actions. So therefore, what we've done, the chief minister said in terms of the last category, the chief minister said that by 1st of January, we'd have in place a new system and government would have to do it if necessary. You know, and it's been remarkably quiet. The media hasn't really asked us what happened around 1st of January. Well, basically what happened is we took a long look at it, with, particularly with a couple of members on our advisory board and said, Gry, the facility at Gry really wasn't the solution. You know, it isn't nice for anybody to pull down... Um, a roll-up mat and sleep on the floor. It really wasn't what happened. So, and supposedly, and it seems to be working because we've had a couple of close moments, close shaves. Now we've got a system of triage using social workers and people with experts housing, and then we make arrangements for people, specific people. When you're genuinely no fixed abode, you've got no. That doesn't help somebody who's on Haley's housing list because you know they have got somewhere where they're sleeping at the moment. But you know, since since Christmas, we've had in place this triage system, and we you know we will pay bed and breakfast. We will um, do things genuinely if you're in that in that in that category. And we're about to. Um, announce working with some strategic partners to actually move towards a better system uh, you know for dealing with that in terms of you know Haley and the thousands of other young people who can't get the housing they want that's much more fundamental that's much more expensive you know to build 100 social houses think 25 million and hectares of land you know 25 million is a lot of money and Douglas doesn't own hectares of land for new properties <coughs> you know we've got some but we need to work with Douglas and Castletown and other places to create um, to create more houses Manx Development Corporation th- as well. I think the one thing I want to jump in on that is that often what we look at is we look at that headline figure and I agree like well, the Peel Road flats, for example, like those cost uh, 11 million to build, mm-hmm. um, 12 million. But now, like through general property price uh, appreciation, those are worth 
three million more than what we built for, right? So now we own an asset that we've already sort of turned a sort of general profit on in terms of just the the value of the asset. And that will pay back its loan eventually, but then that those houses will probably be there for 60, 70, 80 years. Not only will I live there, but my grandkids could live there or my great-grandkids could live there. It'll be an asset that is passed down generations. And it goes down to that old phrase of like, I think the... the, the I don't want to get philosophical here, but like you, you plant a tree so that you, that not necessarily that you yourself can sort of sit in its shade. And I think a lot of our anti-poverty work today has been done by people in the 30s who made the decision to clear the slums, the generation after the war who decided to build social housing to deal with that. And that was a big upfront cost for them, but we're still benefiting from that. And I think taking that long-term view that spending 10, 11, 20 million pound now means that people down the road save a lot of money and we're investing in our grandchildren for future generations. But one thing I want to point out that we aren't talking about a lot is a sort of um, nimbyism. And that's the biggest cause, I think, of driving our, our, our housing crisis, apart from global interest rates, um, is the fact that we talk about a housing crisis in an abstract fashion. But when it comes down to building more houses, which therefore increases housing supply, which decreases shortages, people are suddenly opposed, right? So we recently have an MDC development in Central Douglas. And what that'll do is, for absolutely zero cost on the taxpayer, add 133 homes to the um, to the housing supply, and that will reduce pressure. Even if these were all mansions, high-quality luxury flats, that reduces pressure on, on high-end flats or mid-rent flats, and these effects do eventually end up trickling down. Japan is the only society in the world, in the developed world, that has falling housing prices because they've got a pro-building approach. But then what happens is, is when we move toward this approach of building more housing that will eventually be sold on the private market, a lot of um, politicians have a direct electoral incentive to oppose it, right? Because existing residents have concerns about parking, <coughs> direct residents just don't want additional people living near them. So you end up having this perverse incentive in which, because you're elected by homeowners, you have no accountability to the potential residents who could live in your area. So our direct electoral incentives mean as though every individual uh, MHK and commissioner and councillor has an incentive to prevent housing from being built near them. Um, and that's an issue, especially when elections can be swayed by 30, 40, 50 votes. David Ashford, uh, when when the uh, the whole matter of the the 15... I, I, I'm, I'm still not at all, at all convinced that targeting 100,000 people was, was the highlight and, and, and the, the, the main sort of uh, policy theme of, of government's economic strategy. It, it seemed to me like shooting yourself in, in the foot a little bit, but the, the obvious question that I asked is where are all the houses going to go? And uh, it's fair to say that ministers looked at the floor and, and, and shuffled a bit and, and were uh, rather embarrassed and then said, oh yes, but it's all going to be brownfield development so we don't need to worry about uh, uh, the not in, in my backyard argument um it it is though i I think devon makes some some pretty solid points about uh, where where mhks end up Uh, you know you you, a certain proportion of the of the electorate tend to go out to vote they tend you know property owners are are more likely to vote Uh, older people are more likely to vote older people are more likely to own properties Uh, so um, doing things that potentially impact on their main asset 
uh, is is something that uh, is going to have a, have a a big impact on 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 people's uh, choices when it comes to election. But also, that's changing hats for a minute. That's also just following on from Devon. One of the reasons why it's important we have an independent planning system. Mm. Um, I don't think we're ever going to remove nimbyism. I think it's the old joke, isn't it? Of we need ten thousand houses and we need them now, but not round the corner from me. <laughs> um, sort of thing. And, and you're never going to remove that attitude. It's one of the reasons I've campaigned for many years that instead of this to me it's nonsense of having area plans we need one all island plan when it comes to planning because you just mentioned again about piecemeal things phil and that's one of the most piecemeal things going because by the time you've worked your way around the four area plans and you've done the final one the first one's well out of date and also when the inspectors look at area plans they're looking at that little microcosm we need something that actually says this is our island plan and be up front to the public and say if you're wanting to go down this route this is where we need to be this is where the build needs to be you're never going to remove objections but one of the reasons i chair the independent planning committee is they will take into account objections they will look at it but they're not driven by what politicians say um the politician might oppose it but they don't make the ultimate decision the planning committee does um and that's very important that there is that independence in the system um in terms of social housing as well and the and the need, I mean, Devon had some very good points and he mentioned there about when social housing was developed, referring to Lord Street Flats, which was an area I used to represent when I was on mm. the council, they were built to clear out the old Barrack Street slums. It was a slum area around there prior to their building and to actually give people proper, affordable, at the time, what was modern accommodation. State of the art, in fact, if you go back to about the 1920s. Um, and that's what we need to get back to, to not seeing social housing as some sort of offshoot but as something that is affordable of proper quality that people can be proud to live in and actually you know some of the social housing estates i have williston douglas north they have the best community spirit they have people who've been there many many years we've got some people in williston who still go back to having been there from the 1950s with their pets and their parents and that's what we want we want to build great communities it's there in the arlen plan and one of the that's one of the main targets housing communities action plan one thing I just want to pick up on, though, is Chris has laid out an awful lot of great things to drive forward, but a lot of that's going to need underpinning with legislation. Now, if you look at the Ireland plan and the most recent update that came from government, which was discussed in January's Tim Ward, on page 21 of that Ireland plan, it says um, a modern housing and tenancy law with the draft housing and communities bill coming forward, what's now last month in January... But then you fast forward about 20 pages to page 40 of the Ireland plan. And where is it in the legislative programme? It's phase five. Now, looking at the legislative list, at the speed legislation's coming forward with at the moment, which deeply worries me, the slowdown legislation, we'll be lucky if phase five is the start of the next administration. And, and phase five, effectively, presumably, anyway, the phases would be... Uh, Phase one is this first year, phase two. If second. only it was that simple. Looking right. at it, it doesn't seem to quite work like that. Um, and I, I worry that was, this is something that now isn't going to be pushed to the end of this administration when we need to be pushing it at the start and actually moving on the actions because it needs to be in lockstep with the economic strategy. So unless we're going to say we're going to pause the economic strategy for four or five years, then I don't quite see how at the moment what government's declaring as its legislative programme actually ties in with what it says it's going to do as actions. Hayley, uh, Hayley Fox, I mean, you, you had a, an interesting experience because you were able to, you, you stood for the, the, uh, the commissioners in Port Aaron. Uh, presumably you would have done some canvassing. And uh, you know, one of the things that certainly I found when I was uh, canvassing in, in Russian and then uh, 
in, in my failed attempt at Arbury, Castletown and Maloo was the, it's a great opportunity to actually understand an awful lot more about uh, the places that you live because you get to visit most, if not all, of the houses in your constituency and you see the range and difference uh, in, in, in types of housing that's there. And certainly in Port Erin, uh, we had some... Um, houses that had been built probably in the 30s 40s 50s which were substantial and of a good standard possibly decaying uh, a, a bit by the time i was going around canvassing and then you have relatively new houses which are quite tiny in in, in comparison is that something that uh, that you've noticed or um is is that something perhaps that we, we, we're, we're getting wrong in, in relation to public sector housing or indeed any so, sort of affordable housing? Um, I think in terms of attitudes sort of post-war, when properties were built then, they there was less people, there was less cars, that you didn't need to fit a lot more people into the the areas that we have now so yeah obviously houses are a lot smaller being built now dandar to take one developer the properties that they build are the, the size and specification of them compared to somewhere like edrimony which was built years and years ago they're obviously going to be quite a lot smaller i don't necessarily i, I having not lived in a new build house myself i couldn't specifically say is it fit for modern living i think well it depends it depends on the on the size or you know the the type of lifestyle you live i do think a lot of the new social housing is is very nice i've had the opportunity to look around the school hill west hill uh, some of the apartments that have been built um we've had quite a lot of mixed feedback from the tenants with that but looking at the energy efficiency the cost that's going to be um borne by them in terms of utilities and and rent you know, they're so forward-thinking. I think it's they're brilliant. I'd have one myself. One thing I do want to hammer on is I think also cultural expectations around housing sort of do need to alter a little bit. When you look at census figures, I mean, when you ask what's the average household size on the Alman, people would say, oh, maybe three, four. In reality, it's 2.2. In Douglas, it's lower. Most towns, it's lower. But on average, all over the Alman, it's 2.2 people per household. And which means as though... But the sort of houses that typically tend to be built are sort of three-bedroom homes. But And I think that what we do need to be moving toward, and when you look at where housing shortages are, there are apartments. And I think that when you build houses in, in towns and in city centres and in town centres, you end up having these really positive spin-off effects, such as the first one being that it's a, it's a lot more affordable to provide services. They support a lot more business in, businesses near them. So three apartment blocks, for example, that can sustain a shop, that can sustain like a hair salon. So if you want to sort of improve hospitality, brownfield development in towns has these sort of a positive knock-on benefits that would otherwise not exist and lower urban density creates situations in which we have growing problems of, of loneliness and isolation not only in the Alamand but in the western world more generally and often that is associated with the fact that people don't really live in in communities anymore if you live in a suburban house and you're a teenager and you don't drive what else do you do other than i don't know if you live in Lincoln, like go commit crime or something right like if you're a kid like there's literally nothing to do and it's one of those things where when we put people in communities it's a lot easier to provide services that sort of cater to them um, forgive me for being a bit facetious earlier, but in general, uh, if we want to do, like, building housing and building sort of solid communities with 
services within 15 minutes where they are is also how we prevent things such as antisocial behavior it's how we prevent loneliness and isolation and there's a lot of people as they get old, we talk about younger renters a lot but as get people as people get older and they no longer drive anymore and you're stuck somewhere out in the middle of nowhere it becomes a lot more difficult to sort of engage with the community so having people live in amongst and around each other can be really helpful for that minister um the I think David very ably demonstrated that actually there is a need occasionally for policies, strategies and new pieces of legislation. Uh, It's all well and good saying, uh, judge me on actions, but actually the law um, enables you to act, doesn't it? And if the law is is constructed in such a way that it's outdated, um, then the actions are much more difficult to, no, it's, to it's achieve. A really, we have, we have, it's a really fair point about the Legislation Committee of Council Ministers moving the Housing and Communities Bill back just because, they, in their view, the drafting instructions weren't actually presented to uh, the Attorney General's Chamber, so that was their criteria as far as I know. But the, the law that matters are secondary legislation, so already we've had changes to the way that budgeting loans work in Social Security. Already we've changed the um, shared equity scheme. We're about to come forward with new social um, housing income thresholds in either April or May, Tim Wald. We're um, about to launch a procurement for the um, tenancy deposit, occupancy deposit scheme and because um, we've made some decisions, policy decisions, about how that should work. In other words, we want third-party holding of deposits rather than some sort of insurance scheme. So these are all really practical legal change and that's where our focus has been rather than on you know, putting in place the 1999 resolution, Tinwood resolution on uh, deficiencies into law, which we need to do, but we need to do that a bit later, rather than focusing on... Um, on making sure that um, mid rent is actually completely legal, um, so that, so that's that, so that I'd say we Cause, have because again, been doing... Minister, I mean, p- part of your problem, um, and you know, this is me trying to be a little bit uh, generous to you now, um, is you, there's, there's there's about three or four times the amount of work than you can ever possibly achieve. That's true, that, that's true. So we've only got, in the housing thing, we've only got a couple of people working on it in terms of full-time um, policy p- people in the overall housing and communities framework. We've got a few more in, in housing division. But let, let, let's leave and, that And aside. is that not a problem? Well, I no, mean, it, it is if, a problem. It's if a problem. housing is deemed to be it is a, a, problem. A, a major crisis It is a problem. The so the next person the public will see is we'll, we will be looking to recruit an empty properties officer to work with Douglas Borough Council and other places to actually understand why properties are empty. Um, you know, we already have housing matters that came up in this discussion. That's part of the issue. But the other issue is trying to understand, um, you know, why proper, why we have probably three thousand properties that are either occupied as holiday homes, second homes, or just left empty for other reasons. To see how many of those we can bring back in. But you know, I'm amazed. Some I, uh, who I would have termed conservative politicians in the Isle of Man are talking about things like deemed income taxes on these second properties. You know, it could be that we double or triple rates and let Douglas Borough Council keep the money um, from p- properties that have been vacant for four or six months. But that's hugely significant politically in the Isle of Man. We've never been in that place before. So I was shocked to hear some of the people who think that's a good idea these days. Oh, I would have thought are natural conservatives. And I'm looking forward to seeing to seeing whether that sort of thing is politically acceptable mm. in the island. I just want to go back to something that Devon said about the Banks Development Corporation, Westmoreland Village. And I'm not at all taking a view on this. I'm just stating some facts. As far as I can tell, although the planning application hasn't been submitted as yet, the properties, most of the properties in the Westmoreland Village, the ones that are not for me to nominate 
you know, to somebody like Douglas as affordable houses will be the similar sort of size to the traditional Dandara estate ones. In other words, they'll be below the affordable housing um, design guidelines. And that's really interesting to me. So what we're saying is a public state-owned developer using public state-owned equity is actually beginning, you know, is proposing building smaller apartments, which sounds sounds like you're very enthusiastic about, but that's got a huge policy dimension. You know, should we be encouraging people to live in smaller properties than we would say are normally acceptable under our under our public sector affordable housing guidelines? That's something that David will have to deal with when his planning committee, perhaps so he can't comment. I think on that one specifically, I'm sorry, <laughs> David, I, I just to jump on that. I think that like, if you're a single guy and you've come over and we're bringing over key workers to deal with critical issues, um, like I don't need a two bedroom or large a large home. So I think I think having a variety of properties is is very helpful at the end of the day. But yeah, I applaud the work that your committee is doing on this. <laughs> so sadly, we are now almost at the end of the programme. So maybe twenty to thirty seconds each on what are you hoping to see in relation to housing over the next uh, few years? Uh, start with you, David. Well, legislative movement with action. Um, I don't quite agree with Chris on the secondary legislation fund. Secondary legislation derives from primary. If you haven't got that right, you haven't got the powers. Um, But we need to actually see action on the ground for young people, for families, where people actually feel their housing situation is improving. That'll be the measure, not what we chat about in Timwood, but what people out there think. Devon? I'd like to see uh, better protection for renters. I'd like to see a lot more social housing, vacancy taxes, and a sort of a rethink of, of how planning and building policies work. And uh, Haley, you maybe have a little bit longer because uh, David and Devon have been brief. Um, a regulated private rented sector, homelessness obligation legislation supporting that, mm. um, more affordable housing for younger people, uh, other options of tenure, mid-rent, like you said, an income threshold increase for social housing to capture the people because there's a cliff edge at the moment. And... Um, more suitable housing for the future, eco-housing. Excellent. And uh, Minister, you get the final word. Well, a great list from everybody else. One issue that hasn't come up so much in our discussion would be fixed-term tenancies, because we now have 54% of people mm. on the island in public sector housing who do have fixed-term tenancies. 46% don't have them, so we've got to address that issue politically, because you know that's a bit unsustainable. And the other point is, David made a really good point about the area plan. We've also done things with departments in the Housing Communities Board around assessing the viability of um, brownfield sites, which has led to some initiatives. And secondly, we're just about to launch an objective assessment of housing need, which goes right to the heart of all the questions that Devon's been putting on the floor, which need to be answered. What do we actually objectively need? Haley's mentioned it as well. What sort of people are out there and what sorts of... How should we be meeting their demands? That was Chris Thomas, David Ashford, Devon Watson and Hayley Fox. Do you think the government's response is too slow and woefully inadequate or do you accept that it takes time to rebalance our housing infrastructure and are willing to give the Minister the benefit of the doubt? I'm Phil Gorn, Gormayus and Geisterkrum. Thanks for listening. <laughs>